We've seen the importance of having a healthy people system. But how do you know if your people system is healthy? And even if it is, what are the things that could undermine that health? This session has some answers. You know, few things bring greater delight than leading a healthy people system. Having people work together with our leadership to produce good outcomes brings a ton of satisfaction. Now, as you can guess, sadly, in my ministry, I've had to work with more unhealthy people systems than healthy people systems. So I've relished with working with healthy systems such as Freedom in Christ Ministries. And I've learned that authentic Christian leadership is one major component that God will consistently use to bring unhealthy people systems to health. Without healthy leadership, it's impossible for an unhealthy people system to become healthy. And leadership is the primary determinant of whether a people system will remain healthy or whether it may even become more fruitful. Now, our leadership must have three hallmarks in order for us to promote health in our people system. First, as we've talked about already, our being must be healthy and grounded in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need the strength of character that comes from Christ within us. Now, second, we need genuine humility. We need a sober, truth-filled view of ourselves. We also need to know the greatness of our God. We must acknowledge Christ in us, the hope of glory, as Paul says in Colossians. Now, third, we need a holy determination to see our people systems become healthy. We cannot quit easily if we want to bring health to a people system. Health requires time and effort, especially if we're beginning from a place of unhealthiness. On top of this, it also helps to know how to recognize when a people system is healthy and when it's not. Healthy people systems have three characteristics, no matter whether they're churches, businesses, or governments. The first characteristic is mutual submission, as expressed in Ephesians 5.21. Now, submission is not blind obedience, and it's not everyone doing what the leader wants them to do. It's the spirit of cooperation with one another so that together we achieve beneficial outcomes. Second characteristic is unity, such as found in Psalm 133 and Ephesians 4.3. Now, unity is a sense of cohesiveness and coherence. People are committed to one another and are committed to staying together and working together. Now, unity comes from having the same mind and the same values, according to 1 Corinthians 1.10. And the third characteristic is love, as Paul says in Colossians 3.14. Love is a zealous, self-giving commitment to others for their well-being. It's a sense of altruism, working for God's best for everybody. These characteristics cross cultures. When systems embody these characteristics, they're healthy. They will have a positive influence on other people. And they will naturally tend to promote beneficial outcomes. Now, there are also three characteristics of unhealthy people systems. The first is rebelliousness. When people refuse to cooperate with one another and instead make demands and insist on their own way. Now, the second is factionalism, where people split off from others and form opposing groups. Now, a major indicator of factionalism is secrets, gossip, and rumor mongering. When you have these, you have factions. Now, the third characteristic 
is what I call selfism. It's a radical sense of selfishness in the people system. Selfishness can be expressed by the whole people system or by individuals within the system. Even nations can become selfish. Whenever a system has one or more of these characteristics, it will struggle to be healthy and achieve good outcomes. One of the highest responsibilities we have as leaders is to help create and build healthy people systems. Although people systems greatly influence our leadership effectiveness, for good or for ill, we have a tremendous ability from God to influence our people systems. Now, healthy people systems will help build healthy people and help create a healthy society. The failure to see the need for healthy people systems and then work diligently and sacrificially to create those systems is one of the greatest leadership failures of our time. Here's a key point. As leaders, the power we have to influence our system flows from our being. So many leaders waste time trying to find the right thing to do, the right program to implement, or the right information to apply, when actually what our system needs is for us to concentrate on becoming healthy leaders with our being grounded in Christ. With our being grounded in Jesus, we will naturally influence our system to become healthy and to stay healthy. Our being, more than any of the things that we do, helps to set the mood and tone for our people system. Our being grounded in Jesus will naturally and favorably regulate the spiritual, emotional, and thinking processes of our people system, much as the healthy brain regulates the functioning of the body. Our level of influence depends on whether we as leaders are healthy and whether we are genuinely connected and committed to our people system. If we're not healthy and grounded in Jesus, finding our sense of significance, security, acceptance, identity in Him, then we will be hindered in promoting health in our system. If we're not fully committed to our people system, having a tangible, loving presence in their midst, then we cannot influence our system to become healthy. One of the key messages of the course was being rather than doing. And in various ways I've been challenged that who I am is far more important than what I do. It made me realise that I needed to make sure that I was totally available to people first and foremost. And if things did, weren't perfect, well, okay, that didn't matter. I'm just confident in who I am, what I'm called to do. I know that I'm not called to do everything. I know that I can only walk alongside people. I can't actually solve their problems for them. I can't actually make sure everything's organised beautifully for them, but I can be available I hadn't realised when I went into a room uh, that I became anxious because of what was going on in that room. I I would go into a room with lots and lots of people and think, oh, I don't belong. And rather than um, appreciating that actually as God's child I'm okay and I'm accepted and secure and significant, I would let the anxiety overwhelm me. I suppose in what's happened is that I recognise where a people system is working and I try now to establish who I am in Christ before I let them influence me.
I realised that I didn't have to be intimidated by their feelings and their, their behaviour. I recognised that my strength comes from God and that I can bring God's peace wherever I go now. Now, becoming a leader sometimes feels like getting married to our people system. Although most of us don't make lifelong vows to our system, the commitments we make can seem similar to marriage vows. In most weddings, husband and wife commit to one another in sickness and in health. And if we are to have a lasting influence in our people system as leaders, we also must commit to our systems in sickness and in health. Now, we have focused mostly on health so far, but we need to remember that just as a person can get sick, so also people systems can get sick. As leaders, God has actually given us ability to recognize and then resist sickness in our people system. When our systems become ill, our health as leaders will help nurture our people systems back to health. Our healthy being as leaders will even help our systems resist sickness in the first place. Now, there are many different diseases that our people systems might contract, but we want to focus on one of the most pervasive sicknesses for people systems in the world today. This sickness affects people systems, people in the systems, and leaders alike. It's so pervasive, it's kind of like the common cold. And like the common cold, there are many things that we can do as leaders to resist the sickness and then to bring health when it strikes. Let me give you a number of situations that involve this sickness. Two church elders begin to disagree strongly at their elders' meeting. Soon, the conflict spreads and everyone begins to twist their words. Misunderstandings abound and more and more people get wounded by the increasing war of words. A new manager suddenly feels overwhelmed with her responsibilities. She begins to take various courses to help her lead better. She constantly tries to revamp her team with new ideas, which makes everybody feel uncertain and confused. They also begin to feel that with all these new things, they can't get their own jobs done. Or a young upstart challenges the senior manager with new ideas and constructive criticism of the man manager's work. The manager reacts harshly, feeling threatened by the young employee. A church pastor notices a decrease in giving by his members. He decides to preach a 12-week series about tithing, during which he emphasizes the possible negative consequences for people who don't tithe. God will strike you down. Now, in all these vignettes, one sickness was at work alongside all the other issues that work to undermine the efforts of both leaders and followers. In none of these vignettes do the leaders really understand the full extent of what's happening. The sickness is something that we call anxiety. Now, in our experience at the church that I shared earlier, anxiety was the major corrosive element for my leadership. The church was completely bound up in anxiety. A few of the leaders, without realizing it, were using anxiety to help them get and then influence followers. Anxiety had become such a powerful force in me personally that I had even abdicated my leadership responsibilities for a season. And that was my failure of leadership. Although anxiety was operating so powerfully at the church, nobody realized what was happening. It was not until I went on my forced sabbatical that I began to realize what was going on. 
God took me out of the context of the church in order to show me what was happening both in the church and in my own life. Uh, Around that time, I came across a book which began to help me see things from a new perspective. The book is called A Failure of Nerve by Edwin Friedman. Now, Friedman was writing the book in the late 1990s, but he could have been writing it just yesterday. He introduced me to the concept of anxiety and the effect that it had on people systems. Now, what we share about anxiety owes a lot to Friedman's work. And once I saw the effect anxiety was having on the church, and once the Lord began the process of resolving this issue in my own life, I was able to lead much more effectively so that the church might become healthy. Now, most people tend to dismiss anxiety as little more than an annoyance. Many people have no idea how pervasive anxiety actually is. Anxiety is endemic in the world today. It's the unavoidable byproduct of the times in which we live. Being overloaded and unfocused produces anxiety. Anxiety plays a major role in many illnesses, both physical and mental. Anxiety is one of the major reasons for the breakdown of many families and many churches. And anxiety is partly responsible for the dysfunction that we see in our government and many other organizations of society. It's not just a personal issue, it's a social issue. Now, so what do we mean by anxiety? Well, we have a simple definition. Anxiety is the painful and disturbing unease or apprehension that stems from inappropriate concern about something uncertain. Sometimes anxiety is episodic. It comes up when we face a certain crisis or a difficult situation. As soon as the crisis is over, the anxiety goes away. That's fairly normal for everybody. We call this acute anxiety. But for many people and many systems, anxiety becomes an ongoing part of life. It becomes almost habitual, affecting us continually. We call this chronic anxiety. It's this chronic anxiety that has such a destructive influence on people and people systems. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul tells Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. Now, some versions translate the word as fear or timidity. And the word is difficult to translate accurately. But it might be better understood as a cowardice or failure of nerve that comes from anxiety. 1 Peter 5, 6-9, Peter points out the connection between anxiety and the demonic. The implication is that anxiety makes Christians susceptible to demonic attack. Clearly, it's a big issue. In the biblical Greek, the word often translated as anxiety has a range of meanings. Uh, The word can be translated as anxiety, or it can simply be translated as concern. And it has the same range of meanings as the word care does in English. Care, or anxiety, describes an emotional state that comes from attaching importance to something. When we care about something, we believe it's important. When we're anxious about something, that too indicates it's important to us. Care is a natural emotion. It's like anger, which indicates something needs to be addressed. Whether we translate the word as care or anxiety, it actually depends on the context. But whether we care about something or whether we're anxious about something, the primary issue is truth. 
taking a caring action or resolving anxiety, both require a truth-filled response and obedience to God's word. Now, in order to resolve anxiety, it's helpful to know why people become so anxious in the first place. Now, if we don't have a strong sense of identity and integrity, we'll be subject to anxiety. If we don't have appropriate confidence in ourselves, we'll struggle with anxiety. When we're overloaded and confused, we'll struggle with anxiety. If we don't feel able to process all the information we're receiving, then we may live with a constant sense that we're missing something important. Anxiety. Whether we, whenever we face the possibility of loss, we'll feel anxious. We call this loss aversion. If we place our trust in people and things that aren't God, then we'll suffer from anxiety. The Bible calls this idolatry. When we fail to take responsibility for something which we're responsible for, we'll struggle with anxiety. If we don't pay our bills, even if we hide them in a drawer somewhere, then we will suffer from anxiety no matter how much we struggle to ignore it. Likewise, if we try to take responsibility for something that is not our responsibility, we'll suffer from anxiety. Uh, I was speaking to a group of cell leaders, and one of them spoke to me about his struggles because two marriages in his cell group were having trouble. He felt that it was his responsibility to help them stay together. Consequently, he was suffering from anxiety. Now, once I showed him that the marriages of other people were not his responsibility, almost immediately the anxiety left him. Finally, if we believe lies about ourselves, our situations, our people systems, or God, we will wrestle with anxiety. As I mentioned, it's primarily an issue of truth. Now, leaders need to understand five important features of anxiety if we're going to correctly discern and overcome anxiety. First, anxiety is infectious. It's a social disease. It naturally spreads from person to person because of those emotional processes that we looked at in the last session. The more intense the anxiety, the more it will spread. Many people are unaware of this aspect of anxiety. Second, anxiety always hides or disguises itself. It's amazing how much people will deny that they're anxious. Some people will dis try to disguise their anxiety as appropriate concern. Now, because of this, leaders often don't recognize how pervasive anxiety is in their systems. We should expect anxiety to be working in almost every situation we face, but it will be hidden. Third, anxiety distorts everything. It distorts our perspectives, our communications, our perceptions of reality. A few years ago, researchers at Ohio State University conducted an experiment with spiders. They exposed volunteers who said they had a fear of spiders to variously sized tarantulas in an open-top glass tank. They measured the level of participants' distress as they encountered the spiders. Afterward, they asked the people to estimate the size of the spiders. <laughs> you can guess the outcome. The greater the sense of distress, the more likely people were to overestimate the size of the spider. Anxiety distorts everything. Fourth, anxiety weakens the natural defenses in both people and people systems. Anxiety makes people susceptible to the influence of outside forces. 
Anxious people are highly suggestive. For example, much of the advertising we see depends on making people feel anxious and then influencing them to buy things that they don't need. People will often buy expensive warranties on inexpensive products because they feel anxious that the product might break down. Finally, and most importantly, anxiety is resistible. Peter tells us to cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us. Healthy people and healthy people systems can resist and resolve anxiety as they renew their minds, demolish strongholds, take appropriate responsibility, and maintain healthy processes. We need to recognize that anxiety is a spiritual dynamic as well as an emotional one, if we're to overcome it. Demons, including principalities and powers, will seek to produce, magnify, and manipulate anxiety in people and people systems in order to control them. As we said, anxiety makes people susceptible to outside influences. Left unresolved, anxiety will give a foothold for the demonic in any person or people system. We as leaders must often confront these spiritual aspects of anxiety in order to resolve anxiety. We need to learn how to recognize when anxiety is at work. Now, in our book, we provide a number of symptoms of anxiety, both for people and for people systems. And we'd encourage you to learn these symptoms well. Use them to find clues when anxiety is working. Diagnosis is often the first step to healing. But for now, let me give you a picture of anxiety at work using a number of these symptoms. Anxiety wears down our mind, our will, and our emotions, interfering with our ability to communicate. We begin to feel helpless and defensive. We feel very restless. We try to alleviate these symptoms by seeking quick fixes and engaging in the too much syndrome, eating too much, drinking too much, watching too much TV. The more anxiety we have, the worse these effects are. When we're caught up in chronic anxiety, we can become extremely stubborn, selfish, and very critical. We refuse to take responsibility for problems, but instead we blame everyone else, even if that blame makes no sense whatsoever. We might even begin engaging in highly destructive behaviors such as rumors, personal attacks, and bullying. Like a volcano, these behaviors will erupt from time to time, spewing over everybody. Now, when a people system is struggling with anxiety, people run away from any kind of difficulty and tolerate all sorts of immaturity and poor behavior. People will try any fad that comes along as long as it's easy to do and helps them feel better. The system loses its sense of mission and becomes inward focused. People harp about rights and rules and they seem to exaggerate any issues that come up. People are always complaining, but their complaints have little substance. You can't pin them down. They also struggle to work out their issues rationally. When the people system's anxiety becomes chronic, then people will fixate on what or who they perceive to be the problem. Then they tend to gather in factions with others who think or feel the same way. They fixate on peripheral issues like health and safety. They begin to develop totally unrealistic expectations, but they refuse to look at these rationally. They ultimately begin attacking one another personally, especially the leaders, using all sorts of ugly language. Now, if you think through the above symptoms, you might quickly identify a number of people systems caught up in anxiety 
uh, maybe even your own business or your own church. When anxiety is present, it always hinders good communication. It distorts our communication so that people don't hear or say what they think they hear or say. It causes people to put a pessimistic spin on communication. So even positive words can take on a negative meaning. Anxiety always hinders all our attempts to communicate well. Now, personal face-to-face communication is always best when anxiety is present, but we must make, remain calm and make sure that people understand what we say. Now, obviously, all this anxiety corrodes and weakens leadership. Anxiety inhibits real leadership. To the degree that we have unmanaged or unresolved anxiety, we cannot lead effectively. If we as leaders have anxiety, then our anxiety will be multiplied in the system that we lead. Anxiety in the leader always produces or magnifies anxiety in the system. This is true no matter how well we think we can hide our anxiety. Now, when people's systems are anxious, they always resist leadership. Sometimes they will do everything they can to get rid of the leader. So this session leaves us with another leadership dilemma. As healthy leaders, we might shape and transform our people system until the people system becomes healthy also, but only if we survive long enough. Unhealthy systems will often expel healthy leaders before they can complete the task. Yet, true leadership is the only way we have of resolving chronic anxiety, whether in people or people systems. Yet, true leadership will often intensify anxiety before leading people and the systems out of anxiety. Things can seem to get much, much worse before they get better. Anxious people who need to experience true leadership will be the ones who consciously or unconsciously seek to undermine, attack, sabotage, and destroy our leadership. Now, this means that leadership requires love that hurts, especially us as the leaders. We need to become anxiety-resistant leaders fully committed to our people systems in love. Now, in the next two sessions, we will help you learn how to resolve anxiety, first in yourself and second in your people system. In the meantime, remember that with your being grounded in Christ and your doing flowing from your being, you can lead your system to health.